RadioInfluence.com. Week four of the college football season is here. It's another edition of Rush the Field, a college football podcast for you, the college football fan. I'm Scott Seidenberg alongside Chris Landry, veteran coach and scout. You know the website, LandryFootball.com. And Chris, there was some good, there was some bad, and there was some ugly in week three of the college football season. It sure was. It sure, it, it, you know, it's always every week is a learning experience for these teams. As I always say, you you never stay the same. You either get better or you get worse. But you learn so much as as a scout and as an evaluator looking at these teams. You, you learn more about these teams. And I think sometimes what I get a kick out of, Scott, is the overreaction week to week. Of course. It's a byproduct of the offseason where everybody's determined this team is going to win X games. And then, you know, they have a win that people don't expect. Well, this team is now, you know, a team that people they oh, I think they're going to be 7 and 5. Hey, they won that game. I think they're going to be in the race for the national playoffs. I mean, it's like, hey, just slow down. I mean, my goodness, it'll play out, but I think you got to understand that sometimes we look at these teams from one-sided. And you have to look at the big picture with both teams. So I always like to say, if you pull for a team, you only see half a game. So I think this, this, you know, will, it will be fun to kind of delve down into at least kind of how I'm seeing some of these teams pan out. But you know, you realize this is the world that we live in now yes, with Twitter and everything like that. Yes. There, there's an immediate reaction that happens even as we're watching the game. You know, it, yes. and, and and we see it. how many times <laughs> do we see it, Chris, where a team dominates the first half, right? And everybody's on Twitter talking yeah. about how bad the team looks, yeah. and then the team comes back and wins, and all of a sudden, all of the takes and the reactions from the first half are completely irrelevant now. Yes, but that's what we live in every <laughs> that, single game. That guy is clear. Clearly out coached at time. Oh, they clearly out coached the other side. Yep. Like, oh, the, you know what? Like, the dynasty is over. The dynasty fire is him. over. He's done. He's he sucked. Hey, give him a raise before he goes somewhere else. It's like heavens to Betsy. What are we doing here? Well, let, let's let's focus in on the thing that impressed me the most from week three, and I think you're with me here as the most impressive thing we both saw from Saturday in week three, and that was LSU's win on the road at Jordan Hare against Auburn. I'll be honest, I did not think this game was going to be as close as it was. I felt that Auburn eventually would out-talent LSU, and especially with the home field advantage, they would get a little boost there. But the fact that Ed Ogeron had his team not just physically prepared, because they were capable of hanging with the Auburn players through four quarters, but he had them mentally prepared. They were picking up on their reads and their assignments, and they were not afraid of the moment on the road in a game in which I thought Auburn was going to play with revenge based off what happened last year at Baton Rouge. Not the case. That was, to me, the most impressive victory in week three. Well, I I was impressed that they were able to win. Um, I thought they did a good job. I think these two teams are very close talent-wise. Um, I do think in some areas, I thought at least offensively, Auburn might be a little bit better. In At home, I did think that would be an advantage. And off of last year, I thought that would be another indication that Auburn would, would try, uh, would be able to finish this off. They were not able to do it. Uh, I thought Joe Burrow was clutch when he needed to be. Um LSU made some plays offensively when they had to. They stayed committed to the running game. 
better than Auburn did, and that was a big factor. Um, but let me just tell you, I, I look at this as another case where I look at it, and I think two years in a row, the story to me um, in this game is more about Auburn. I mean, no one's really talking about Auburn, talking about LSU, and that's great. Talk about the winner. They deserve it. Get all their credit. But I don't really see LSU any differently than I did at the beginning part of the year. I think what's happening is kind of what I started the show with is there's some people that thought, I mean, in Baton Rouge, Scott, some people thought this team was 7-5, and five, and I'm like, no, they're thinking that because they don't really respect Ed Orgeron. Because I can tell you that from a talent standpoint, they're a nine and three team. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, and you know, so I and I don't know that I thought they would probably be eight and four this year. I still think LSU's probably going to end up eight and four. Maybe I'm wrong. We'll see. It maybe there's a game difference there. But what I saw in the, saw in the game was Auburn really begin to take it to LSU, get LSU on their heels. And for the second year in a row, they gave up double-digit leads. This one was worse because it was at home. Yeah. But last year was probably even worse with a 20-point lead. This was a complete collapse. And I, I definitely want to give LSU the credit that they deserve, friends on that staff and whatnot. But I don't want to be glass half empty. For the second year in a row, Auburn screwed this up royally. Now, Auburn will get better as the year goes along because they teach the running game well. But my goodness, did they do a poor job in situational football on offense and defense that cost them this game. So I, you know, I, I, again, I look at it when I looked at the tape, I thought, man, um, there were plenty of chances where LSU was on the ropes and only Auburn's, quite frankly, poor play allowed them to win it. Give credit to LSU to walk through the door, but make no mistake that Auburn opened the door wide for them. In fact, there were a couple of times they took the door off the hinges. Can't allow, can't allow a 71-yard touchdown in the fourth quarter. You just no, can't do it. It's a complete, no, it's a complete lapse. Not only that, you got a chance to salt the game with the ball and eight, an eight-point game, eight-point lead, and they're just – I mean, they – Stidham did not play well, mm-hmm. and, and I'm going to tell you, he played. He had an actually an overall better game than Joe Burrow, but in clutch moments, it was Stidham that overthrew and didn't play well under pressure, and Burrow did. So, you know, that's how I saw it a little bit, not to be negative towards Auburn, but, but boy, I, I just thought that they did a poor job in that game and cost themselves, and listen, credit to LSU, but I, I again, this is where I'm going to say. I mean, I'm getting this comment. Hey, you know what? We they got a shot again, folks. LSU not close to where Alabama and Georgia is, mm-hmm. and LSU's got to be concerned about just taking care of business against the Ole Misses and the Mississippi States of the world. Teams that they've got better personnel, but um, those games in Florida on the road. I mean, they let's just one game by game, and let's see how much better they can get. This LSU defense is for real. I felt that going in. So I don't know that I, I see LSU differently because I kind of saw them as more talented than maybe the other people did. Um, now the people that thought they were, again, 6-6, six and 7-5 six, and five team think they can challenge Alabama and Georgia, and I don't see that. I think they was all, always in that 8-4, and 9-3 and three type range. So classic overreaction, the fact that yes. they bump up in the rankings and are now labeled as the number six team in the nation? Yes, it is an overreaction. But let me tell you my view on how I see the teams. And I even tweeted it out and, and, and put this on LandryFootball.com this week. That Look, and it's all I can do is evaluate the 
through three weeks, and, mm-hmm. and it's subject to change. But clearly to me, it's Alabama 1 and Georgia 2, and they're close. And there's a little drop-off. And three is Ohio State, and four is Clemson, in my view. And the, the reason for the separation between two and uh, 1 and 2 and, and 3 and 4 is that I think that Clemson and Ohio State – can on any given day beat an, you know beat an Alabama beat a Georgia they're talented enough to do so yeah but what I see in Alabama and Georgia is a team that they're a little bit more disciplined a little bit more play better complementary football and they finish better they and, and so I think that that has why I like them a little bit better to this point but in a one game scenario anything can happen after those four Scott you can take five and you can take 15 maybe even 18 and you can flip them and put them in a hat and they're all they're all different from a style standpoint but none's one better than the other i might give oklahoma a slight advantage in maybe being five or six but you can throw stanford and penn state and yeah. washington and west virginia and mississippi state and oklahoma state and tcu and i mean you can throw a whole lot of people in there and they all look about the same and i think time will shake this out but as you said, rightly so, you nailed it on the head again. Everybody's reacting to the moment. I tend to look at it because I look at everybody and I think, eh, I think this will settle out this way. But that's always subject to change because, as I said, every week you learn more and more about these teams. I don't think Notre Dame is close to being a top 10 team. Mm-hmm. But when you start looking at it, who are you going to put in the top 10? You're right. I mean, you got to put somebody there, which is why I say don't focus on who the top five is. Again, I think there's great separation between four and five. And I think that you can look at five through, you know, I'm going to call it 20 and go that far and say, you know what, you can throw those teams in a hat and probably the first three or four teams you'd put from five on might be a little bit better than the bottom four, that the, the remaining 20, but they, they look a whole lot alike. And we don't know. Maybe Virginia Tech and Mississippi State or the fifth or sixth or seventh best teams, or maybe they're more like 18, 19, 20. Same with TCU. Same um, with West Virginia, Washington, or Penn State. I mean, for goodness sakes, we're going to see Penn State play Ohio State in two weeks. Going to learn a lot more about Ohio State and Penn State then. So on and so forth. Stanford gets Oregon this week. They're going to either impress or disappoint based upon that. You know, LSU's got games. Uh, Oklahoma State looks like a, a pretty good team, maybe a little bit better. Uh, than, than, than I thought at the start of the year. But can they handle the business through the Big 12 and win in Bedlam, which they never seem to do? That's a later conversation that we can have. But I just think there's a lot of you know pretty good teams, and there are very few really good to great teams. And I think that's where we're headed towards this year, unless somebody stubs their toe, and then I think we're going to see one of those pretty good teams make it in the playoffs and get just rocked in the first round like we've seen the past couple of years. No, I think you're right. There, There is clearly a top four in the country, and then everybody else is behind them. And yes, maybe a team like Oklahoma or, or a Stanford or somebody does slip into the college football playoff, but it's Alabama, Georgia, Ohio State, and Clemson. You are absolutely right. Those teams are just better than everybody else. And Alabama right now is just on a completely different level, and, and I I don't think I'm just saying this just to say it. I don't think there's any shock value to it. This is the best offensive team I think Nick Saban has had in Alabama. It's it's not even close because what they're able to do in the passing game 
is unlike anything they've been able to do before. I mean, they had pretty good game manager in a Greg McElroy. They've had in A.J. McCarron a guy that was a little bit better than that, but nowhere near what Tua is doing. This guy is phenomenal, and his ability to make plays is phenomenal. And, and the 62 didn't surprise me against that Ole Miss defense. But I'll tell you the most impressive performance I saw all weekend last weekend was Alabama's defense. Only allowing seven. Yeah. This <laughs> is seven points. And, and Jordan Tamu well, might be might be one of the top five passers in the country. He's outstanding, yeah. and that's the deepest, best receiving core in the country. And they did it with four-man pressures most of the night. They blitzed about five or six times. I, th- I think seven, actually. If I go back in my notes, I, think it, I know it was single digits. And they played coverage. And this young defense that everybody had questions about, which, you know, they're still young. In, in the first play, they gave up the big – they took the guy out and, and they put a younger guy in. They played all sorts of young guys. So not only did they play an explosive offense that pretty much falls out of bed and scores 35-38, and they just stopped them, and they stopped them with young guys. And they played young guys through the entire game. So Alabama, you know, in a whole hum way that everybody just expects them to do it, they did it. They did it impressively. They made a statement. And, oh, by the way, they emptied the bench. They played guys that will, will help them when they play in maybe more competitive games down the road. They're playing at a different level. And, quite frankly, so is Georgia. And it's going to be fun to watch these teams develop through the course of the year because they're playing with a type of focus that is incredible. When I watch Georgia and I, and I look at my notes on Georgia and I look at my film notes on Alabama, it's like – I can save ink because it's like the same thing. <laughs> it's like it just ditto. Yeah. Because I'm looking at two quarterbacks that can play, deep at receiver that could guys that can make plays, four running backs that can make plays, offensive lines that are dominant, defenses that are young but are playing at a high level. I mean, you know, coaching that is very good. I mean they got the whole package, and, and they, they find a way to just they bury their opponents and they play to their standard and say, you know what, we only got 12 of these, and it doesn't matter that we win. We want to get better in every game that we win, and so let's try to challenge everybody to win every play. And so when you're up 62-7 to seven and you got guys that are still trying to prove that they can be the better nickel or dime or sub-package backer or the best you know, R4 on cover teams – that's when you got something special, when you got a whole bunch of young five stars trying to make their mark, and eventually they're going to be playing for you due to injuries. That's when you become elite, and that's what those two programs are in my mind. You know, Chris, we talk about the offense at Alabama and what Tua has brought to them and how different they look and how this is the most powerful group that Nick Saban has had. And I look at Ohio State with Dwayne Haskins, and I think something very similar. Because Mm -hmm. what Haskins has brought to that offense is more of a vertical passing attack that they haven't had in recent years. They've had incredible runners at the quarterback position. But when Haskins ran for a touchdown in that win over TCU, you realize that was his first rushing touchdown? So he is not that type of guy that Urban Meyer is used to having. He's not the Troy Smith. He's not a JT Barrett. He is a much better passer than they've ever had in recent seasons under Urban Meyer at Ohio State, and I think he is going to be the reason why this team cruises to the college football playoff. Listen, I agree with you. I think this. I talked about Ohio State, and I when I say I think there's a little drop, it's only in terms of the finished product to this point. But when I when I look at them, they've been really explosive and. 
I would say that TCU is the best opponent that any of these four great teams have played mm-hmm. thus far. Uh, I think TCU is better than Texas A&M. I think TCU is better than South Carolina and certainly better than Louisville or the rest of the teams that the, uh, these teams have played. Um, I think they – I love JT Barrett. He was a leader. He was a tough guy. And, and because they were so talented, they could win games around him. But what they do have is a dynamic quality to their offense to explode on people that even when they don't play their best um, – and by the way, I don't think that defensively they've played their best game. They're athletic on the defensive mm-hmm. front. They can well, Nick Bosa is the, one of the best pa- – he's the best and, pass rusher and, in the country. And he's got an abdominal strain, mm-hmm. and I'm a little concerned about that because that usually lasts all year, and it, and it's a, it could be an issue. But I can tell you, they don't, they don't tackle very well. And they rush the passer, but they don't tackle well in space. And TCU had all sorts of opportunities and missed opportunities, unforced errors, or they might have had a shot late in that game, even more so than it appeared. So I think there's room for growth and improvement um, by Ohio State. But offensively, they are really, really good. And, and I two, think two running get backs, better. Chris, two running backs that do kind oh. of similar, but also different things. You know, Dobbins and and Weber are they can they can both run inside, they can both run outside. But I think Weber gives them a dynamic in the passing game that is a little better than Dobbins, and then Dobbins gives them that home run threat that's a little different than Weber. So they got two guys that could do everything. They do, and and like Clemson, like Alabama, like Georgia. They've got two, three other guys that just don't have as much experience, but that can play. And uh, they're good up front. And again, they're they're certainly if you're looking at just pure talent, I think Clemson and Ohio State's defensive line are the best in the country in terms of athleticism and playmakers. Um, but you know, again, I don't think they played their best best ball long season, and and we'll see how it develops. But no, an elite team that. I just don't think anybody's going to beat Ohio State uh, through the through the conference race. And the only variable, just like with Clemson, is do they – look, I mean, I, I still am trying to figure out how Iowa throttled Ohio State last year. That That's the thing <laughs> that just – you know, you just don't know. I don't see that happening this year. I didn't see it happening last year either. But but I don't see it. In, but that's the one thing that would concern me about the Buckeyes or Clemson is – you know, do they have that game in which they stub their toe and they just don't show up? I mean, you just don't sense – you sense that there's a greater chance of that happening for those two teams than you do, Alabama, Georgia. Um, but we'll see. I, I think Ohio State is loaded. And offensively, I, I mean, they're, they're, as, they're as good as anybody in the country. And it, it, to me, I'm already salivating at the idea that these four teams could match up in January oh, yeah. because I just have a hard time seeing – how there any four teams from a personnel standpoint would match up, and it's uh, nothing, no disrespect to anyone else, but I just hope that nothing happens from a fluke standpoint because maybe we could get two classic semifinal games because there, folks, I'm telling you right now as we sit here, there is a drop off, big one. Yeah, just think of how amazing Haskins has to be to. Make it so that Tate Martell doesn't see the field. <laughs> I mean, he did oh. he did in the blowout game, but you know the fact that uh, he's holding him off you, that just shows you how how good Haskins is. Yeah, they got. I mean, I mean, these teams got you know <laughs> two three quarterbacks and two three. I mean, you got they're loaded in a set. I mean, it's just it's an NFL factory. Trust me, I uh, I 
have a lot of notes on a lot of those guys. <laughs> uh, well, the, we mentioned that there was some bad and there was some ugly, Chris. Uh, the Big Ten had a bad day on Saturday. Losses to subpar opponents. And it's not just losing games and losing games to teams that you should have beat, but it's it's losing games that you, you were heavily, heavily favored in. And we're talking about, okay, so Wisconsin loses to BYU at home. That is a bad loss, right? That's a bad loss for them. Rutgers gets blown out by Kansas of all teams, right? Kansas. Maryland gets the doors blown off them by Temple. Troy goes into Nebraska and beats Scott Frost's Huskers there, okay? You have South Florida beating Illinois. You had Mizzou with what they did against Purdue. And Akron going into Northwestern and the Zips coming away with the victory there. Not a good day for the Big Ten. No, it wasn't. Uh, certainly for a conference that's gotten a lot of play of how good they are, I think we see that there's there there's some good teams. But, but outside of Ohio State, there's not an elite team. You know, Potentially Penn State could be really good. That's the only team that has a chance to maybe entering that uh, stratosphere towards the end of the year. Well, listen, let's call it what it is Wisconsin, with Wisconsin. They, their strength as a football team is their total package. The sum of their parts is all, are all better than their individual pieces. And they win because they play together, they play tough, they're physical, and they don't make mistakes. When they play sloppy football, which they did, they can't win. They, they're not like Ohio State that maybe plays sloppy and still can you know, run up and down the field. They do not make a lot of explosive plays. Um, BYU had a few explosive plays. They didn't do a good job leveraging the run. Uh, and, and it was a little bit, you know, a miss here, a miss there. Uh, now, this BYU team is demonstrably better than the one last year. Kalani Sataki's done a really good job. So this is not a bad team. But they just, Wisconsin didn't play well. And they're not good enough to be off and still win. Correct. And they're just, you know, it's just the way it is. And it's why I said the only variable for them is, all right, if they win the Big Ten West and, you know, if they were unbeaten and, and they, which they're not going to be anymore, and they upset, you know, Ohio State in the East and win the conference. Yeah, they could get in, but then they'll, they'll get the doors blown off them by a much better team. That's kind of what Wisconsin is. Um, Purdue, man, they, they, that's a team that's lost three games by eight points. They're just making too many mistakes. It's been a big problem. Nebraska without Adrian Martinez, a big-time problem. Their defense gave up too many big plays, a problem there. Northwestern, no rhythm on offense. They're giving up big plays on defense. They had two pick sixes. You know, how do you, you lose to Akron? Two pick sixes. That's how it happens. You know, so Illinois, I fr- frankly, um, I was impressed by what they did. They had a chance to beat Southern uh, uh, South Florida, and I didn't think their chances were all that good. Maryland, they just didn't show up well on offense or defense. Tons of mistakes on defense. The offense was a disaster. Um, that that was just, you know, an issue. Rutgers is just bad. Yep. They're just really bad. And, you know, um, give credit to David Beatty, who's turned around the attitude at Kansas, and uh, at least that's uh, given them some life. That that was dead man walking. You know, that was coaching search already getting started, and, and he's making a case to try to – rally and keep his job. But on the positive, I was playing pretty good ball. Uh, Michigan, we'll see how, um, how much better Michigan can be. It's going to be fun to watch 
Uh, and by the way, late update and follow it on LandryFootball.com. Adrian Martinez uh, is beginning to practice a little bit. We'll see if he's going to be available or not. Um, that, that obviously that Nebraska-Michigan game is going to be pivotal this week, as is Wisconsin-Iowa. Hey, Chris, you know what? I want to go to a college football game or an NFL game or any game for that matter. I always make sure that I buy my tickets from Vivid Seats. It's an online event ticket marketplace dedicated to providing fans of live entertainment with experiences that last a lifetime. And, you know, with Vivid Seats, the listeners can watch their favorite teams or artists perform if they're into the music, into concerts. And, and can see those uh, folks in person. Absolutely. Vivid Seats helps fans find their seats to any of their favorite live events, including sports, concerts, theater, and more. And I tell you what, Vivid Seats offers great prices and easy purchasing experience. And here's a great bonus, too, because with the podcast code INFLUENCE, listeners can receive 10% off your first purchase with Vivid Seats. All you have to do is go to the App Store or Google Play and download the Vivid Seats app. Enter promo code INFLUENCE, I-N-F-L-U-E-N-C-E, to receive 10% off your first purchase with Vivid Seats. That's right. New customers with your first purchase, be sure to use that code. All Vivid Seats confirmed orders are backed by a 100% guarantee. And finally, Chris, let's talk about the ugliness from Sunday. We did the good, we did the bad, the ugly, Willie Taggart in Florida State. I, we've talked about them in the past. We've mentioned how Willie is a good recruiter, but not a great X's and O's coach, not an in-game adjustment guy. You go to the Carrier Dome, and you are non-competitive against Syracuse. And I know Syracuse has done a good job, but they lo- they lost their quarterback early in this game, Eric Dungy, the guy who I thought was going to throw for like 12 touchdowns in this game, and they were going to put up 70 points. He goes out. Tommy DeVito comes in and plays pretty well. But Florida State was non-competitive. And that is something that you're just not used to seeing from a Florida State Seminole team. This is a national powerhouse program that is playing football right now like they are a Mac school. And no offense to the Mac because there's some really good programs in there. But you understand what I'm trying to say. They are not playing on the level of a national perennial powerhouse program. No, in fact, um, I was looking at it this morning and I really... Don't see how they're going to even make it to a bowl game. So even getting so the you're bowl talking practice, about a, you're talking about a five or less win season. I, I it, it's looking that way. I mean it it, it really is. Now I did um, a special post that uh, I'd invite folks to check. It's free up on LandryFootball.com. You can you know look and um, because we got a lot of posts up there. Look under Florida State and it's a LandryFootball.com report. Uh, it's about a 25 minute piece on what's gone wrong at Florida State. What's gone wrong the past few years? What's gone wrong administratively? What's gone What's gone wrong in some of their coaching searches and hires and how that's played out? So uh, obviously time is limited here, but we've got a lot more details that I go in on the recent history there and some of the problems and why they've gotten to this point. Let me say this. Um, I think that w- what has to happen, and fans tend to want to rally around something. And a lot of the Florida State fans are the jilted lovers, so they're blaming it all on Jimbo Fisher. Well, Jimbo Fisher and his staff didn't do a good job recruiting in the last couple of years. There's no doubt he had one foot out the door headed towards College Station, and he didn't do a very good job with that team. There's no doubt about it. Um, and there are problems. There are particular problems on the offensive line that Florida State has to correct. Um, and a lot of it's going to have to be corrected in recruiting. But um, this team is not competing. You're correct. 
and they're awful. And, and, and you have to do – now's the time where you have to make your players better. You know, in the offseason is when you get better players. But during the season, you have problems on the offensive line, for goodness sakes. You've got to run the screen game. You, you've got to, to run some misdirection. You've got to help that offensive line out. They've doing, they're doing nothing schematically to help it out, not because they're hard-headed, but because they're limited in their ability to do so. This offensive staff is not as equipped to do as many things like most good coaches will do, and that is adjust a lot of what they do to simplify things or make things more uh, comfortable or easier for the weakness of your team, which is the offensive line. They've not done that at all, and, and it's because of a lack of know-how. I said it before, Willie's going to have to make some adjustments on how he's doing things this year. We'll see if he can do that. He's going to have to make some adjustments at the end of the year on how he wants to do things offensively. I think Harlan Barnett is doing a pretty good job with this defense. They're on the field way too much. So they're going to give up points. They're going to give up yards. They're, they're, they're going to be worn out. Certainly by season's end, they will be even more so than they are now. So the whole thing, well, the offensive line was left in bad shape by Jimbo Fisher. Um, Scott, I can tell you that in its current state, even with their injuries at right tackle, Donovan and the rest of those guys, Florida State's remaining offensive line is more talented than Western Michigan, who did a much better job of blocking Syracuse's defensive yep. front than Florida State. So, yes, there are problems. There are a number of problems. There are systemic problems that go back a while. But part of that right now, the here and now, is this team is not well coached. And they got to figure some things out in a hurry or it will not get to a bowl game, and that's going to make it very difficult. And for the answer to the question that people want to know and might want to ask, no, the same group that has been lagging behind getting good facilities, and the reason why they lost Jimbo Fisher is not going to be able to afford a $25 million buyout of Willie Taggart plus another several more million to buy out his assistant. So this is going to be a hire for the long term. And by mean long term, He's going to get at least three years until they can get the buyout number down if, at that point, they feel the need to move on. So they're stuck, and they have to support Willie, and the fan fan bases may not. They're going to need a little bit more, and I tell you, good luck trying to raise funds right now. Can you imagine Ring Ring? Uh, Mr. Booster, um, we'd like to talk to you about raising money after they've watched this product <laughs> on the field. Um, they're going to hear a lot of clicks. That's that's tough. So it's a tough environment that they're dealing with, um, and and it, it just it doesn't look like they certainly are not as bad as they look uh, to struggle and to be lucky to beat Sanford and to be dominated by Syracuse. Oh, heavens to Betsy. Can you imagine when they get into the heart of that conference and the teams that are well-coached? Ah, oh, man, this could get ugly. Yeah, it's already Ur. ugly. It's, yeah, it's already okay, ugly. <laughs> All right, Chris, let's run the option. We do this each and every week on the program. We go over some topics around the world of college football and decide whether we want to run with it or we want to pitch the ball and want nothing to do with the play. The first story I'm going to talk about is Davidson defeating Guilford College 91-61 last Thursday night. The game featured... 1,662 total yards of offense. The home team scored 13 touchdowns. The visitors added nine. None of these stats counted, though, Chris, because 
While Davidson is an FCS team, Guilford is a Division Three team. So here's the question. FCS teams playing against D3 opponents? <laughs> I, I'm telling, I'm pitching this ball, Chris, because I want nothing to do with these games. How does a game like this benefit a program like Davidson? They would be better suited getting the doors blown off them playing against an FBS opponent because then they get a sense of, hey, this is what we're striving for, rather than beating up on a team like Guilford College 91 to 61. Yeah, I'm pitching it too. You know, it's one thing when you play a bigger opponent. We know what those are. Those are mercenary games. Those are big money. You're not getting big money when you're when you're Davidson and trying to say, "Hey, Guilford, come on over. We got this big <laughs> payday for you." Uh, I just I just thought they started off the basketball season a little earlier, yeah. um, and I just wasn't really surely what was going on there. Uh, what, now, how many times do you think their basketball team will score ninety one this season? Oh, I have no idea. <laughs> I, I, I don't know. I, I, I can remember them being a, a really good. Obviously, we know uh, we know the, the recent heritage of uh, Davidson football Steph Curry, and yeah. Steph Curry <laughs> and you know, Mac. But uh, no, I, I think I think uh, they probably could have used Gilford. Uh, probably could have used Steph on the game. No, I, I don't. I don't like these type. But games and you know, I know some of it. It gets into struggles to schedule a game and cancellations. And I know we had some issues with the weather and all, but uh, those are difficult regional. But you got to do a little bit better. That it, you're right, it doesn't help you. All right, how about this story? Lane Kiffin is allowing the Saints Mark Ingram to work out at FAU because while Mark Ingram is suspended, he's not allowed to be at the Saints facility or practice with the Saints team, be it meetings, any of that stuff. So Lane Kiffin's letting him work out at Florida Atlantic. And the reason is what Lane Kiffin told reporters, quote, it's the least I could do. We're both a part of the Alabama family. And he goes on to say, quote, that's how you treat Bama family. Uh, Lane Kiffin was the offensive coordinator for three seasons. Since when does three seasons make you, in my opinion, a part of the Alabama family? Uh, and, and I guess what you're going to say is players play three seasons or less. But you know what? I'm pitching this because I don't think Lane, when I think of Lane Kiffin, I don't associate him as a part of the Alabama family, Chris. <laughs> well, the first thing I thought about was, well, you know, he could be working out of Tuscaloosa and, you know, maybe going to Dreamland and all. But I guess when you look at the options, Tuscaloosa, sorry, Tuscaloosa uh, residents, but Boca's probably a little <laughs> bit nicer. So I kind of get that part of it uh, as to why he's doing. I guess he's working out, but when he's not working out, I guess he's enjoying the rays of Boca a little bit more this time of year. Uh, but, yeah, no, I that is uh, definitely pitch because that is uh, for me because <laughs> – that is Lane. That is for people who don't know Lane. I know his dad real well, and I've gotten to know Lane. Lane is the most sarcastic, uh, <laughs> dry-witted person. That's his. That's his. Another way to dig into like like after the Maria Taylor incident, he goes, "Oh, I, I, oh, I. It's that's a shame, Maria. That was so rude for you to be treated that way." <laughs> You know, because who got hurt at more by Saban than Lane Kiffin? And so this is, oh, it's part of the Alabama fan. You know, so he wasn't even there. Mark was there. So I think it's kind of, it's typical Lane. He will forever troll, try to troll Nick Saban in <laughs> Alabama. Oh, Lord have mercy. Finally, uh, let's talk about Michael, or excuse me, Dorian Thompson Robinson's father, Michael. <laughs> 
Uh, he tweeted out a bunch of criticisms about UCLA head coach Chip Kelly. He was responding to, I guess, tweets talking about his son's performance against Fresno State, which dropped UCLA to 0-3. And he said that uh, Chip Kelly is, quote, a million-dollar coach who bears no responsibility. Uh, also, that he puts the blame on lousy coaching and play calling. Also called Chip Kelly's success at Oregon a fluke. So I, I tell you what, I'm going to run with this a little bit and then pitch the ball because I'm going to run with the fact that there is a problem with Chip Kelly's UCLA team and he's not doing, in my opinion, the job that he was hired to do. But I'm going to pitch it because I think people have unreal expectations for Chip Kelly, Chris, and that they thought that they were hiring a guy who had so much success in the Pac-12 at Oregon, and and even though people don't admit it, he did have success with the Philadelphia Eagles, and they think that automatically they're going to be competing for the Pac-12 title right here in year one. That's That was never going to be the case. This was going to be a process. Still, I don't think people saw 0-3, but right now I'm going to run a little bit and then pitch it. I'm pitching it because I am convinced that LeVar Ball stole Michael Robinson's <laughs> Twitter account. I don't believe any of this. I, I just believe that this <laughs> Those is... Those UCLA the, dads. Yes, man. <laughs> it's just that it is. I just believe... It. I uh, Listen, uh, how are you helping your kid out by doing this? This is what I just don't get with some of these dads. Um, listen, Chip's got a big project going on. Look, I... Uh, you know, I thought maybe – I thought they'd beat Cincinnati, quite frankly. Um, Fresno State's pretty good. Listen, it's a long project. Uh, there's no doubt that Chip's going to do it his way, and it's going to take a lot of changing of style. So I knew there would be some growing pains, big-time growing pains. I didn't know what their winning record or what their what their record would be, but I knew it wouldn't be a lot of wins. But I can't really sit there and tell you that I thought they'd be winless at this point. Certainly not what he expected, but – I, I think that it's going to take some time. It's going to take three years. The negative part, we talked a little bit about it last week. I think he has is the type of quarterback, and that's this young man. But now I don't know where this goes. <laughs> See, I think that, you know, a lot of it is, you know, a dad seeing his kid getting fussed at on the sidelines, getting hard coached, and, and thinking that Chip is blaming the kid. <laughs> Coaching, when you fuss a kid and you tell, you're not blaming anything on the kid. You're teaching. Listen, I'll say this. Chip Kelly has had success as a coach, big-time success. He knows how to build a program, and he was a part of it at Oregon and did a great job. I think if given enough time, he'll do it at UCLA. But I, I think these dads are way out of control, and now I wonder about the future of this young man there. Um, and whether this is going to be something that he's going to feel comfortable or getting pressured by his dad to leave at the end of the year. It so could be. You never know. Could very well be. Uh, let's talk about some games coming up this weekend. Uh, I want to look first in the SEC, and what can Drew Locke in Missouri do to potentially pull an upset at home against Georgia? Well, I think this formula is going to be very similar to what Ole Miss went in trying to do against Alabama. Uh, I do think Missouri is a tad better defensively, but not good enough to slow down Georgia. What they're going to have to do, obviously, they're going to have to take their shots downfield. They're going to have to get some points and live off their offense. They're going to have to be balanced, Scott. They're going to have to run the football some, because if they don't, Georgia's just going to run them into the ground. 
reduce their possessions, and I just don't think that Missouri's chances are all that good. Um, I think that Drew is outstanding, and I think they've got big physical receivers, but I just don't think they're going to make enough plays to be able to hold up. They just don't match up at the line of scrimmage. Um, I think this is very much reminiscent of you know South Carolina and them getting ready to play Georgia mm-hmm. at home. I think this is going to be a similar result. How about this game in which I'm putting uh, upset alert right here? You know, upset alert. I think Wake Forest could beat Notre Dame. Oh, absolutely they can. This is a really good team. Notre Dame doesn't have much of a passing game. They're not playing well at all. Uh, Wake Forest, uh, you know, the young quarterback is having his rough spots. So that's going to be key there. What quarterback can kind of stand up and make a few plays? This Wake Forest offensive line is pretty good. Pretty good on the defensive line. Um, absolutely, Wake Forest has got a shot here. Can Purdue slow down A.J. Dillon? It's going to be really tough. I think A.J. and that offensive line are going to have their way with them on Saturday. Uh, I think their best chance is to be able to get some explosive plays and try to force BT, B.C. to the air a little bit. If they can do that, um, they've got to just play a lot cleaner game. I think for Purdue, they just got to stop shooting themselves in the foot. And if they can get some big plays – that's going to be their formula. But no, I don't think defensively they match up very well against BC. Well, I think we've talked about them for a few weeks here. This is just a really good foot, physical yep. football team. Yeah, I think they're the second best team in that conference. I think they're right. I think they're the team that's going to challenge Clemson. Maybe, maybe proven over time. Yeah. Uh, let's go to the Big 12, Chris. What a game we have. Texas and TCU. Texas coming off a statement victory against USC. TCU fresh off that loss to Ohio State. I'm sure there's a lot of things that Gary Patterson is going to look at from that game film and try to adjust. How do you see this game playing out? I think it is intriguing for the fact that is, yeah, big win and in tough loss, but, you know, respective teams and how do you respond off of those weeks. Um, listen, TCU's better. Um, they, they're more speed. You got more playmakers. They're better on defense. And I think they're better coach right now. They certainly, uh, I, I just like TCU. Um, Texas, um, that was a big win for them. Um, it was an ugly loss for USC. But, you know, you know, Texas, we saw them get better as the year went along last year. But I just look at them and the identity. I, I they're just not as good as TCU. I mean, they play this game ten times. TCU wins seven out of ten. So mm-hmm. I don't think this is going to be one of the three. It, it could be if TCU really comes off slow. But I just think this uh, the Horn Frogs are a better team and better program right now. How about Kentucky hosting Mississippi State? Oh. You know how like Kentucky's been surprisingly good this year. They really are. The offensive line is good. Folks, if you haven't seen Terry Allen, he's the Oregon transfer. He's a good two-way player, good passer, good runner. Benny Snell is the best running back you've never heard of. Um, they, they get their receivers going in the run game. Um, this is a good, good group. Um, this offensive line against right now a, a defensive line that's playing as good as any in the SEC, Mississippi State. Uh, this is a really Really good game of two teams that I think are going to have good seasons. Mississippi State's a little better, but the game is in Lexington. Yep. Still like Mississippi State, but I think it's going to be a really good one. How about Iowa against Wisconsin? Well, Wisconsin's played really well. Nathan Stanley's starting to play well. Love their tight end, Noah Fant. Good offensive line again. D 
defense has been pretty salty and playing good ball. Um, Wisconsin's got to play better. I mean, I expect them to rebound and have a better game. But to be honest with you, on tape, Iowa's just looked better. They've played more consistent football. Wisconsin had the loss last week, but even in the wins, they just they weren't really challenged. And, I, you know, I give Iowa a little bit of an edge here. I do think Wisconsin coming off the loss will play inspired ball. Uh, losing two in a row would be kind of devastating to their season and their hope. But I just, uh, I'll tell you that I don't know where how it's going to go, but I, I do know this, Iowa's definitely looked like the best team. Yeah. And how about Saturday night, a Pac-12 matchup between Stanford and Oregon. And Chris, Bryce Love will be back for the Cardinal on Saturday night. Yeah, yeah. Looks like, uh, you know, he will be, and they're getting him some work. This Stanford team's just better. This Oregon team hasn't played anybody yet, and and I don't think they've been really challenged. Autzen is, is always fun to, 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 to see and watch a game and – uh, not very fun to go and, and, and play in it, I can tell you. But Stanford's just a better team right now. They're getting, um, with Ortega Whitehead's really, really making plays on the perimeter with love. Uh, this is just a better football team at the line of scrimmage. And I think they've got a little bit better athletes in terms of making plays on both sides of the ball than does Oregon at this point. So I like Stanford. Um, you know, we talked a little bit about kind of Wisconsin. Stanford's kind of the same way, but a little bit more gifted athletically. Um, I just think they're really, you know, the more solid team and they've got more answers. So it's going to be a battle of, of, of certainly a great quarterback. Oregon's got a really good one. He's going to have to play very well. Uh, Justin Herbert will, but if, if Oregon's going to have a chance to win this one. And you can read all of these game previews at LandryFootball.com. And the folks at LandryFootball.com want you to join their family this football season. Get in on all the inside information and analysis on the college and pro game, from film room breakdowns to all the latest inside information, recruiting, draft, coaching news, all this and more. Plus, each Tuesday and Thursday, you catch the Landry Football Podcast. Each Wednesday, new episodes of this, Rush the Field, college football podcast podcast with myself, Scott Seidenberg, and Chris Landry. Both of them absolutely must-listens. Download, subscribe, comment, like, share, all that fun stuff. So check out LandryFootball.com today for their best season membership package ever. For less than a magazine subscription, you can have access to the insights of veteran coach and scout Chris Landry. Tell them where you heard this to receive their best membership package available. So Chris, besides those film room previews, what else do you have on LandryFootball.com this well, week? Well, all the news and notes on what's going on around practices around the college game. Uh, you know, you mentioned Bryce Love and some of the guys that are getting work. Uh, Adrian Martinez, we've, we've kind of had a, an update in the college football notebook today. We'll update on his status and what we're hearing from uh, inside that program and the rest. So that's what we do for you. We do that at the college and NFL level. And, folks, uh, something that uh, we want to share with everyone, we know that um, there's been devastation along the Atlantic coasts and the Carolinas with the hurricane and the flood. So what we're going to do going forward for some time, as much as we can do it, is we're going to donate 50% of any subscription uh, that comes in from any of you that uh, care to join us and become a member at LandryFootball.com. 50% is going to go to the victims of the floods. We did that two years ago in yep. my hometown of Baton Rouge. We did it in Houston last year. And um, l- listen, we want to do it. We, we just hate that we're having to do it, that these people are suffering. So it's a little way to say, look, if, if you want to get involved in helping someone but you also want to do something for yourself, this is a way to do it and know that 50% of whatever package you become a member by, um, 
it'll go to some good use. So check it out. Uh, you know, if you like football, you love LandryFootball.com for less than a magazine subscription. You get access to your own scouting and um, coaching uh, department. It's one of my bookmarked pages. I check it out every single day. Don't forget to follow Chris on Twitter at Landry Football for all the latest breaking news and analysis. You follow me, Scott Seidenberg, at Scott's On Air. And thanks for tuning in each and every week to Rush the Field with me, Scott Seidenberg, and Chris Landry. It's found on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, Google Play, and RadioInfluence.com. Chris, enjoy the games this weekend, and we'll do it again next week. Oh, I can't wait, Scott. Thank you so much. This is a Landry football with Chris Landry. Quick fix on Radio Influence. Josh Gordon signs with New England. Some people question that move. Listen, it's understandable to question it. Um, I don't know that he's a guy you can rely upon. I don't know if he's going to be successful for New England or not. Um, But I can tell you how they're going to handle it. They're going to give him an opportunity. They're going to have an expectation of what he's going to have to do. And if he doesn't do it, then he's not going to be around. It's as simple as that. Uh, You're going to not get opportunity after opportunity there. I think what teams like this do is they bank on the idea that a player will finally realize this is probably his last shot. So maybe it'll shock him into reality. Very often it doesn't. But there's not much to lose. They're, they don't guarantee him anything. Yeah, they gave up a fifth-round pick. New England is the best at acquiring extra picks and moving into the draft, so this is why they do all those things, so that they can take a shot on a guy like this and see if it works. It worked with Randy Moss. It didn't work with Chad Ochocinco and Chad Johnson. This is a different situation. But again, one that may work, one that may not. Chris Landry brings you Landry Football every week on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, Google Play, and of course, RadioInfluence.com.